Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Maybe the housing provider has uh, specific income requirements or credit scores um, to qualify for their housing. So although that individual may have a Section 8 voucher, they may not meet these other parameters uh, to qualify, and therefore they're excluded. I would have been lost in the system had it not been for this group of people. I'm Sarah Fenske. If you call the St. Louis Housing Authority seeking a Section 8 voucher, this is the message you'll hear. Welcome to St. Louis Housing Authority. The Section 8 Housing Choice Voucher waitlist is currently closed. Due to the significant number of waitlist transactions, including the large volume of applicants and changing information, we are unable to provide you with a ranking or tell you your place on the waitlist. However, once an applicant reaches the top of the waitlist, they will be notified by mail. Now that message has been a fact of life for many St. Louisans for years now. There is a 10-year waiting list for the Housing Choice Voucher Program, and it hasn't taken new names for a long time. Kim Daniels signed up for the waiting list 10 years ago. This fall, her name finally came up. But her story shows just how complicated the quest for affordable housing in St. Louis can be. The Before Ferguson, Beyond Ferguson project has detailed Kim's story several times in the last two years. That's part of its efforts to look at life in the 63106 zip code during this pandemic. And in the last few months, Kim's efforts to leave that zip code have been complicated by a stroke and the difficulties that face people with disabilities trying to access affordable housing. And we should mention Kim Daniel suffered a stroke last year. That is part of what she'll be talking about today. We do want to note it since it also does affect her speech patterns. Kim Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined today by Nia Foster. She's a fair housing specialist with the Metropolitan St. Louis Equal Housing and Opportunity Council, also known as EHOC, and she assisted Kim in her case. Nia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Kim, let's start with you. You moved into the Preservation Square neighborhood in St. Louis 19 years ago. This was in 2003. But by the time you were first profiled by journalist Richard Weiss in 2020, you were eager to move. What made you want to leave that neighborhood after so many years? Repeat crime and repeated uh, neglect of maintenance calls and just the unstable community that I was living in. You didn't feel safe in your apartment building? No, I did not. Uh, I had bullets fly through, and uh, it was a traumatic experience, to say the least. Not only that, woke one morning and heard gunfire. Thought it was in my apartment, but it ended up being my next-door neighbor, and when I finished counting the bullet holes, there were 23. I still maintain those photographs. Wow. So that really, I mean, li- living in your neighborhood, you'd probably gotten used to a fair amount of gunshots, it being yes. that many, that close. Yes. 
So when you first talked to Richard for his project about uh, beyond before Ferguson, beyond Ferguson, you told him you dreamt of moving to Arkansas. What made you decide you wanted to stay in the city of St. Louis instead? I only returned to St. Louis because when I was living in Arkansas, I had a medical emergency. And the cardiologist there, the transplant specialist there said, we cannot service you here in in Arkansas. You must move back to St. Louis. We send all our patients with your particular heart defect to St. Louis. You have a congenital heart defect. This is something you were born with. Exactly. Okay. And so they said, you need to be in the big city. Yes. Okay. So you had been on this uh, this wait, uh, the waiting list for a Section 8 voucher for a long time. Did you have any hope your name would come up anytime soon? I got to the point where I did not think it was going to ever happen. And so that's why I pressed myself to always go to work and find jobs where it wouldn't be too strenuous for me and I could still make a decent income that would allow me to move somewhere outside of where I was. Okay, so this was just an ongoing problem, years Mm -hmm. on end, waiting on this list. Kim's story here, almost giving up on this voucher. Is that unusual? No, it's not. Um, Many times people are um, going through transitions in their life where um, not having that stability in housing um, it just impacts their ability to move forward. Um, and and I t- many people even with vouchers, um, because the difficulty of even locating a housing provider that's willing to accept, accept the voucher is difficult. Um, they've said many times that I want to give up. I'm, you know, I'll let this voucher go because no one's willing to even take my voucher. So not only do people wait 10 years for a voucher, once they obtain the voucher, it's difficult to even locate a housing provider that's willing to accept that voucher. So landlords can choose whether or not they want to deal with this program, and and a lot of them have just opted out. Well, in the city of St. Louis, source of income is a protected class, and so that Section 8 voucher or housing choice voucher is a protected um, uh, class in the city of St. Louis. However, in St. Louis County, St. Charles, um, they don't have that protection. Landlords have the ability um, to decide whether or not um, they'll take that voucher, that Section 8 voucher. And you said in St. Louis City, uh, they're not allowed to discriminate on the basis of this. Is that how it works in reality? No, I, I would say not. Um, there are other ways that individuals are excluded from housing with the voucher in the city. Maybe the housing provider has uh, specific income requirements or credit scores um, to qualify for their housing. So although that individual may have a Section 8 voucher, they're in the city, they may not meet these other parameters um, to qualify, and therefore they're excluded. So we do want to mention this 10-year waiting list um, just to even get one of these vouchers. And as Nia says, it's a complete additional issue after you get one. Um, That long wait for this, that certainly caught our eye. So our producer reached out to the Housing Authority to ask how many people are currently on this waiting list? How long do they typically wait? How long has the wait list been closed? Uh, We did not hear back from either the city or the county housing authority by showtime. If we get those answers, we will will share those with you. but, but Kim, your story gets complicated because you finally got your voucher right at the point when things with your health were falling apart. What was happening for you? 
at that time, I became ill. Um, I wasn't really sure exactly what it was. I just knew that I did. I could still taste. I could still smell. Uh, I could still, um, you know, all the co- all the COVID symptoms they asked you for. I didn't have any of those, so I just got chalked it up to a common cold. And so, but my my body was exhausted, and I was going to work every day. And the more I went to work, the more exhausted my body became. After a while, I was so exhausted that when I came home, I just passed out on my sofa, and I. I would not, I wouldn't, I would forget, I should say, to take my evening medications. And it seems that that also contributed because one of those medications was a blood thinner that was necessary for all the devices I have in my chest. And it would seem that my blood clot started, my blood started clotting and it it clotted all throughout my body, causing me to have emergency surgery and a lot of other things, yes. And I understand at that point they realized you had actually had a stroke back months before that had gone undetected. Yes, and there were, um, but it seems the stroke is trying to get the best of me because it, it affects my speech. Then I got to the point where it's also affecting my memory. My, my long-term memory is, is solid. My short-term memory is, is in ill effect right now. It's, okay. it's not working well. But the other thing is, I, started, I didn't get the facial twitches. At, well, I got twitches, but not the distortions. And then all of a sudden, I started drooling and not knowing that I was even drooling. And so, and my sister pointed that out to me. What she pointed, I was like, oh, my God. So now I will be attending physical therapy to treat all of these things. So yes. now they have some handle on, on what's yes. wrong with you, but, yes. but you're still dealing with all these symptoms. You're yes. here today using a wheelchair. Yes. Oh, yes, because I had two bilateral fasciotomies and two stints placed in my groin uh, in order to overcome the blood clots that they they had to remove blood clots from both legs and then put me on a long regiment of blood thinners. And so you're dealing with all this stuff. You're now getting used to dealing with a wheelchair. Your old apartment back in Preservation Square, was that something that where a wheelchair would work? No, I lived on the second floor and there was no lift or elevator that would take me to the second floor. Okay. So Nia, what happens in a situation like this? We have somebody who has been, she's done everything right. She's got herself on this list and she becomes disabled. Her apartment is no longer something that even works for her. Well, Kim's situation was a little unique in that she had this voucher. Um, She had located a housing provider that was willing to accept her voucher, and there were accessible features in the unit um, that would allow her to live in the unit and enjoy the unit. Um, But 
a lot of people don't have those options. So it say, for instance, an individual in a similar situation that didn't have a voucher, mm-hmm. um, and because preservation is considered a project-based unit, meaning there's some HUD subsidy. Kim, Kim's, uh, Kim's old apartment. Old apartment mm-hmm. um, and even if it wasn't a subsidized unit, um, she could make what is called a reasonable accommodation request. So under the Fair Housing Act, um, it allows for individuals to make um, what is called a reasonable accommodation request or modification. Um, but in this case, an accommodation um, request in regards to a change in a policy or um, something, some change with the housing to provider to allow that individual to um, have full enjoyment of the unit. So a request would look like, you know, I'm now... Um, or I'm dis- a disabled individual. They may even present in a wheelchair where they won't necessarily need to have that um, medical verification. But in most cases, we ask individual if you need a request such as this, if you can't obtain that medical ver- verification, obtain it. And we would make that request to the housing provider to either be transferred to a ground floor unit. Um, but in this case, she had a voucher. So there were some, some other, complications. other complications going on. So if Kim had wanted to stay in this complex they would have they would have had to find some way to get her a first floor unit correct okay correct. and this story gets a little more complicated as as nia mentioned there and we're going to talk about that after we take a quick break here we're talking today to nia foster she's a fair housing specialist with the metropolitan st louis equal housing and opportunity council we're also joined by kim daniel her story has been chronicled by the 63106 project that's part of its before ferguson beyond ferguson project and Kim's quest to leave the 63106 zip code. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. We're talking today about how affordable housing works and frankly doesn't work in many cases in St. Louis. There is a long wait for Section 8 vouchers, even when you get one, my guest tells me today. There's many landlords that won't take it, especially in St. Charles County, St. Louis County. It's a huge problem. And we're joined today by Nia Foster, a fair housing specialist with the Metropolitan St. Louis Equal Housing and Opportunity Council who helps people dealing with these issues. We're also joined by Kim Daniel. She was profiled in the 63106 project. Project, telling her story as somebody living in the Preservation Square neighborhood. And as we were discussing before the break, Kim really had it on her mind to get out of this neighborhood. She finally got her housing voucher, seemed like maybe this was the golden ticket, and then her health issues really began to spiral. So, Kim, I understand you found an apartment. This is in the Georgian complex that's on the edge of Lafayette Square, and you were planning to move in on December 10th. Then what happened with your health issues where this became clear December 10th was not going to happen? On November 30th, I woke up and was not able to walk. I fell to the floor attempting to get to my oxygen machine that was alarming that it was not working. 
when I fell to the floor, I just happened to fell, fall next to the extension cord that had my phone plugged to it. I pulled my, my, my cell phone to me and dialed my niece and texted my son, and they came and picked me up off the floor and sent me to the hospital emergency room. And I end up being in the hospital for 61 days. Between hospital and rehab, I was in there 61 days. Wow. Yes. And so when Richard Weiss published an update on your story, this was for the Before Ferguson, Beyond Ferguson project, things were were not looking good at all at this point. You'd been in the hospital for two months, and then you had really nowhere to go after you got out of the hospital. Nia, what was the problem here as as far as Kim's quest for affordable housing? She thought she had found a place. Well, Kim had thought she found a place. It had been approved, from my understanding. It had been inspected. But then when she um, went into the hospital, her income changed, and so the whole situation changed. Uh, To be honest, I really can't speak to why um, things change from approval to non-approval, but that's what happened. Um, We were um, contacted by someone um, that was familiar with Ms. Daniels' situation, and that's when EHOC stepped in and made some requests to try to assist her. She was unable to locate a new unit. She was hospitalized at the time. The Georgian had already approved the unit, and it had the accessible features that was needed. Um, The Georgian had even um, lowered their um, asking price for the the rent, which I think it rents normally 1,100 a month. Mm -hmm. And so they had reduced their asking um, for um, the rental amount to accommodate Ms. Um, Daniel so she could use her voucher. Um, unfortunately, the housing authority determined that um, the lowered rental amount was still too high and that um, she would not be able to take that unit. Um, the problem is that Ms. Kim was about to be discharged. She had nowhere to go, and finding um, housing providers, again, that's willing to accept the voucher and then to have an accessible unit on top of that was like finding a, a needle in a haystack. So, Nia, you deal with these kind of issues all the time, but this sounds like the perfect storm, like yes. everything that could complicate an individual case all happening at once. What were you thinking as, as you hear Kim and her sister trying to figure out where is she going to go when she's released from this rehab facility? Um, what was I thinking? we got to try to help her as best we can. Um, and remain persistent, and then we got to research and figure out what can we do um, to assist her. So that was um, conversations, you know, with uh, our staff, our um, our senior staff attorney, um, Kalila Jackson. Um, she did research. We found um, policy, the, the housing authority's own policy and their administrative plan where individuals can make what is called, again, a reasonable accommodation request um, to the um, the payment exception. So it, in a sense, Ms. Kim would make a request saying that, hey, I'm a person with a disability. I've located this unit that's accessible. I have not been able to find any other units accessible. And so I'm asking that you all um, increase the payment standard to allow me to move in to this unit with my voucher. Okay, so this was all hands on deck. You figured out that the way that the law was written... Um, it was the housing authority's policy. Okay, that, yeah, they just had to follow their own policy. They had to follow their own policy. And everything would be good. Yes. Okay. 
We're talking today with Kim Daniel. She was profiled in the 63106 Project as part of Before Ferguson, Beyond Ferguson. We're also joined by Nia Foster, a fair housing specialist with the Metropolitan St. Louis Equal Housing and Opportunity Council. Um, so, Kim, you get to this point where Nia is pushing your case, pushing your case. They're doing everything to try to get the housing authority to come through. I understand the housing authority finally came through. Yes, they did. They finally came through. And I am very grateful to Nia Foster, Miss Kalila Jackson, and Ehawk. Yes, because if it wasn't for their information, I may not be where I am right now. So this, you were able to move in, uh, was this last week? Yes, yes. Into this apartment that you had desperately wanted to move into. And I am there now, yes. So Nia, this took a lot of a lot of pushing. Yes. <laughs> what was that like uh, to say? Okay, you know, you got to follow your own policy. They finally followed that policy. Um, I'm gonna be honest. It was quite frustrating. Many times we thought we were going to lose the unit, and I would like to applaud the Georgian because this was, you know, they're in the business of renting properties, and they kept that unit on the market for her for several months. And because, you know, we're in a hot rental market right now, I'm sure someone could have easily snatched that unit up, paid what they were asking for, and they would have, you know, no harm, no foul on their part. Mm -hmm. But they were willing to work with Ms. Kim. And I guess, like I said, the most frustrating part was that this was in the Housing Authority's um, policy. And I applaud the Housing Authority for even having such a policy as this. Um, but again, the frustration is that you have to have an organization such as EHOC. We're an advocacy organization, of course, but to have to make the request to the entity that wrote the policy was the most frustrating part of it. I that, mean, to the point that we, it went all the way up to HUD. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just- HUD re- is basically the agency behind yes. the housing authority here in St. Louis, provides all their funding, yes. writes these policies. You had to escalate. Yes. And as you say, this kind of came down to the fact, the fact that you were able to pull this off for Kim, came down to the fact that you had a landlord who was willing to do something they didn't have to do. It, Correct. It feels so broken that our system would rely on that. Yes. Because if they would have put that back on the market, Ms. Daniel could possibly still what be staying in a hotel right now because she couldn't return to her apartment. I mean, we were even trying to she was trying to find other housing, but there was no other housing available with the accommodations that she needed. I mean, she needs a wheelchair accessible unit, lower cabinets, accessible appliances, um, features in the bathroom that she can use. And those units are hard to come by whether or not you have the finances or not. So being able to find such a unit with her voucher, like I said, it was it was a needle in a haystack. And Kim, for you too, I mean, you had Nia fighting for your case. I understand your sister was also yes. working night and day fighting on this. Do you think what might have happened if you had not had this whole group of people taking this on as a project? I would have been lost in the system had it not been for this group of people. And of course, I also want to thank the Georgian because their uh, assistant manager, Miss Elisa, was the one that said, that talked to her uh, managers and asked them to just please hold the unit for me. They held this unit from December and were willing to hold it all the way to March the 4th mm-hmm. on my behalf. 
So, Nia, this does feel like such a happy ending, and I'm, I'm so happy for Kim that she's there in the Georgian. This is a, a great, great building. Um, but it feels like this is a really broken system that we have here, the idea of waiting for 10 years, the idea of, you know, you and your coworkers having to dig through policies, tell them about their own policies, escalate it up to the federal agency. What would you like to see happen here? You probably have a whole long list. Uh, what are some changes that maybe should come out of this experience that would affect more than just Kim? Um, I would, as far as speaking to the the accessibility piece and the, and making that request for the payment exception, um, it would be good for the housing authority to take more initiative um, when they have these issues. Not to just say no, because every, that situation was a unique situation, and they were aware of the the issues. Um, as far as her having uh, a disability, not being able to return to that second floor unit, so it would it would be more beneficial to the public, to the good of everyone, if they would have taken more initiative to follow their own policy as opposed to having, because what if she hadn't gotten to us? Mm -hmm. Then it's like, well, what do you do? And so I would just implore individuals to um, find out what their rights or their fair housing rights. You have more rights than, than you think you do. And that reasonable accommodation, you don't need EHOC to do that. You as the individual can make that reasonable accommodation request to your housing provider. If there's a need um, in your housing or a change in the um, policy um, that will allow you to remain in the unit. If you're disabled and say you need grab bars, or in this case she needed a, a, an exception to the payment to, in, to increase that amount. So. Um, Reasonable accommodations, we see them all the time, um, those requests, those needs and issues, and just individuals learning what their rights are and passing that knowledge on to the next person because that's the only way we really can um, be more proactive and affect those types of changes. And when it comes to people who are dealing with disabilities or disabilities that are very new for them to be dealing with, people like Kim, who, you know, you certainly had health problems before this, but how dramatically it escalated. Um, it feels like maybe that's something the Housing Authority needs to be more cognizant of, again, its own policies when it comes to that particular issue. I would agree. I, I would agree. I mean, I know that they, they're aware of it. They've done it before. Um, but maybe it's at that case manager's level or the supervisor's level. I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the executive directors and those in those higher level positions are aware of it. But the person that's implementing the voucher and making those um, ground level decisions, they need to be aware of the housing authority's policies because they're the first point of contact when these issues arise. So we do want to let you know if you have a question about Section 8 housing or about filing these kind of accommodation requests, as Nia makes clear, that is something you have the right to do on your own, and they should take that just as seriously. But as we all know, that's also true of going to court without a lawyer. Uh, sometimes it really does help to have an advocate. So the Metropolitan St. Louis Equal Housing and Opportunity Council is there to try to help with these kind of accommodation requests. You can call them with questions, 314-534-5800. Again, 
314-534-5800. Kim, I want to bring this back to you because we started uh, being aware of this story because of your life story and your quest to get out of Preservation Square, to get into safe housing. Now that you're there, you're living on the edge of Lafayette Square, you're in the Georgian, a beautiful building. Do you still think about your neighbors who are back in your old neighborhood? Yes, I do, especially the elderly neighbors that cannot escape Preservation Square due to financial inabilities uh, or financial limitations. So I do, I really consider my neighbors, and I'm hoping that some changes will happen while in the midst of Preservation Square doing their facelift. They're going through a, a large facelift. It's going to take time. And I used to go to all the meetings, but it's, it'll be my section of that facelift was phase three. They're still in phase one of the facelift. Okay. Yes. So that building may see some improvements. It's going to take time. Yes. It sounds like you're thinking a lot about the people who are back there waiting yes. for those improvements. Yes. Yes. Like to see your landlord maybe step up a bit as well. That would be wonderful. Well, Kim Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. And if you want to read more about Kim, she's been profiled now quite a few times as part of that 63106 project, uh, part of Before Ferguson, Beyond Ferguson. You can read those stories at stlpr.org. Nia Foster, I also want to thank you for joining us and sharing all your expertise on this. Thank you. Thank you. And Nia is a fair housing specialist with the Metropolitan St. Louis Equal Housing and Opportunity Council. Again, they are there to help with these kind of accommodations that we're talking about today. 314-534-5800. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.